This is Report to Wyoming. Desiree Tinoco drops in to talk about a nonprofit that works to find missing people in Wyoming. Before starting the nonprofit, she was a stay at home mom. Just before the Gabby Petito case, she decided she wanted to start something that would provide more information and updates on missing persons statewide. We talk about Wyoming's vast landscape with large, desolate territories and the unique characteristics of the state that play a role in finding missing persons. We also discuss the prevalence of Native Americans going missing, along with the elderly and people with mental illness or a history of drug abuse and the challenges that come with locating them. Tinoco explains how Missing People of Wyoming works with the DCI to put out information that might help the missing persons to be found. So uh, Desiree Tinoco, I'm founder, uh, CEO of the nonprofit Missing People of Wyoming. It started out as a Facebook group and kind of exploded from there. And uh, sadly, because of the Gabby Petito case, it got our state so much more attention for missing persons. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for that case, I don't think we would have as following or as much of an impact as we do. Uh, and, and, you know, just working with the state and getting all this stuff going. There's so many different people involved. It's great to see it all kind of come together. Okay. And when did the Facebook page start? Uh, that would have been about 2019. So we're coming up on four years now. And there is like a, it's not a Facebook page, but there's an official Missing People of Wyoming page, right? And your information largely corroborates what theirs is saying on their website. On DCIs, yeah. So uh, when we started the group, it was kind of hard to find cases that weren't getting attention. Obviously, that's the whole purpose of a group like that. There are several of these groups throughout the country. Um, I like the idea of a group rather than a page because the public can uh, work with you. It's much more up to the minute when somebody goes missing to be able to submit that and just you know get it on the group and it's it's just easier to work with the public in that way. So once um, you know, once we got that going, working with DCI for them to create their uh, database, a public database, that's where I personally get a lot of those uh, flyers that you'll see on the group. Um, and they, uh, you know, they're they're wonderful to work with. There's so many cases that come in and out of the system, uh, runaways especially. So you'll see cases that'll be on there for just a few days or a few weeks, and I think with a lot of people in the public, they expect there to not be so many cases. And so right away, they're like, why are there so many people going missing? This is not normal. It, it, sadly, it is. Kids go missing. Adults go on trips. I mean, things happen. And so that, you know, door is always rotating, unfortunately. And then sometimes, yeah, maybe there are people that don't want to be found or it's not always a terrible, tragic situation. But it's important. I think it's still important that you guys put the word out there. And then it makes me wonder, too, is there a certain amount of time before um, before the likelihood of finding someone safely plummets dramatically? Uh, yeah, after the I mean, the first 48 hours, as we always hear, is very crucial. Right. But, you know, the longer you go, the odds go down so much more. And, you know, going back to what you said before, when you know, when somebody doesn't want to be found, there's nothing illegal with that. And, you know, I don't want um unnecessary attention to be focused on someone. Having said that, however, we don't have all the information when someone goes missing, nor is it really our business, right? We're just there to share cases, factual information, uh, try our best to not um, harass people for whatever reason that, you know, their circumstances are, uh, and, and not get in the way of law enforcement. So when those cases get listed on DCI's database and we go to share them on the group, we may not know anything about it. They may not want to be found or... You know, there's some cases on there that unfortunately 
they're still listed as missing. However, remains haven't been found. So just because they're on that database doesn't necessarily mean they're truly missing. They just, you know, they can't be taken off there, unfortunately. But, you know, it's like I said, that's none of our business getting into the details of that. Uh, We're just there to share all cases regardless with an equal, you know, uh, light on them. Yeah, because I imagine with crossing state boundaries and and also just, I guess if someone's been on there for such a long time, their photograph isn't going to be up to date. And there are so many older cases where um, they haven't been found yet. And it's heartbreaking because then you go, what happened to these people? Where are they? And you just want to know some kind of closure, even if it's worst case scenario. And so for those families, you always will see like anniversary posts or people trying to repost so that they know that the public still knows, hey, this person is still missing. Um, But it's so sad because, again, it's hard to get updated pictures. The information about what they left home wearing, you know, 20 years ago isn't that doesn't matter at this point unless I mean, I guess it, it all could matter because you might find a sweater or something somewhere. But yeah, when, once you're looking at cases, sadly, I mean, once you start looking at cases that are over a year old, unfortunately, the odds of, you know, it's it's hard to say. I hate to uh, offend family or, you know, m- make it sound like a grim situation. But at that point, uh, you're fortunate enough to find remains. A lot of those cases, they'll never find remains. And so for that, yeah, it, sure, it's, it's nice to know what kind of fabric could possibly be linked to a case. I know there's a case in Nebraska right now where an arm bone was found. They were adamant people thought it was Chance Engelbird, but it's not because of the fabric that was found. They're still waiting on DNA on that case. Um, and he's a gentleman that went missing from, he was he went missing in Nebraska, but from Wyoming. Uh, so, you know, talking about state lines, borders, Wyoming is unique in the fact that we have reservation lands. I myself am native. I've lived on two reservations. Uh, so I, you know, that hits close to home for me. Uh, uh, there was another report put out by the uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Task Force. And I'm a member of that. It's, um, you know, if anybody that has an interest in missing persons and natives and, and, you know, the odds of them going missing, you can reach out to Kara Chambers for information on joining the task force. Uh, we just had our first in-person meeting uh, probably two weeks ago. And that was the first one since, unfortunately, COVID locked everything down. And especially on the reservation, they got hit really hard with COVID. So they were very strict on their protocols there. We had a wonderful turnout, a lot of great suggestions brought forth by the public. Unfortunately, there weren't that many people there that were in, I want to say, in higher up positions. It would have been nice to see more people of power coming to those uh, meetings. I think that's really important, especially on the reservation. They, you know, they suffer more missing persons than anyone else. Uh, it's a unique situation there in Riverton um, and the surrounding area. But the majority of those Native Americans are going missing off the reservation. So we think of it as a them problem, not an us problem. Uh, you know, Emily Grant, she's the one that put this um, whole thing together. I believe her first report was two years ago. And that made world news. That was right when the Gabby Petito stuff happened, right after DCI had created their database. And right when the group was really finding its ground. So that all kind of happened at the same time. Her report showed some, you know, horrific information and stats on how Indigenous people are going missing more often, uh, more likely to be murdered. You know, it's just it's all around just not good for them. And then going to this meeting and hearing them say that there's conflict between 
members of these two tribes on this reservation and people are fighting over who's in charge of MMIP is just so sad to see because, you know, I've been fortunate enough here where I am in Casper, we've got a great team of people and there's plenty of work to be done and everybody kind of plays their role. We have uh, private investigators with nonprofits. Uh, Kara Chambers is the head of the victim's advocacy for the state. You know, um, it's just wonderful to see all these people work together. Uh, A friend, Jen, is a reporter and she does a lot of stories on missing persons. We all kind of found our our spot. And most recently we had the the podcast as well with Renee. Um, And so, you know, having, having all those avenues, it just works so well. And going to the reservation and seeing how they're really struggling there is so unfortunate. Um, You know, especially I think I can just, like I said, I can relate to it a lot, just being native and 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 having lived on reservations, I haven't lived on you know I haven't lived in Riverton, but living on other reservations, it's very unfortunate to see how that's all played out. Are there any other demographics that you see that maybe there's more prevalence for going missing? Uh, yeah, so I mean, and that's something that like there's like this you know racial kind of tension that happens, right? And so the way that I kind of talk to the majority of uh, the public talking about missing Indigenous people is like. Hey, just so you know, this isn't just a them problem. Um, it's also it, elderly people, people with dementia, a man that happens to go off hunting, the, the frantic um, idea of like the this like burden that we have to find this person kind of fizzles out really fast with those cases. Um, and of course, there's people that have questionable backgrounds. The whole reason I started the group was there were two gentlemen that went missing, separate cases. And they, you know, didn't live the most perfect lives. And because of that, the public, law enforcement, press, everyone just didn't think of them as real people. And it's unfortunate to see that kind of play out. And nobody nobody was talking about these cases. One of them, the remains were found, oh, maybe that next spring. And then the other gentleman is still missing. And you never hear anything about these cases. It's kind of unfortunate to... Um, to see that kind of play out in that way. So yeah, it's not just an indigenous problem, but they are the, you know, it's probably the worst for them. Um, And understanding, you know, the Gabby Petitos, it's not every beautiful white blonde woman that gets that attention, but she's statistically way more likely to get that attention than, you know, somebody with a drinking problem or somebody that went out hunting or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Now, Wyoming is such a unique state. We're so widespread. It's vast lots of rural community. Do you think that plays a role kind of in, I guess, finding someone and how that affects, like when when we find these remains, um, it's weird. Sometimes it'll be years before the remains are found and they're in these like kind of ranch towns or whatever. And I, I just wonder if that's, you think, kind of unique about where we're at. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, Wyoming is ranked seventh in the nation per capita for missing persons. And it's not just uh, reservations, land, reservation lands or, you know, indigenous people. It's also that it's just so desolate of an area. We have man camps and uh, lots of land and, uh, you know, parks and people come from not just I feel like in Wyoming, we kind of make fun of everyone that, you know, shows up to Yellowstone and does something stupid. But it's not just them doing something stupid that you would think of. Right. It's we forget we're in our own little world inside city limits. Um, And you could live here your whole life and not understand what kind of danger you're putting yourself in 
um, and others when they go, you know, searching for you, right? So understanding, like, you know, you see some cool video on TikTok or YouTube or whatever it may be, and you're like, oh, I want to go see that. I want to go check that out. Well, are you prepared? Even if you are prepared, you can't, it's not a hundred percent guarantee. And it's like finding a needle in a haystack. I mean, it really is just, it's just miles and miles and acres and acres. And people forget how desolate it can really be when you don't have cell service or your car acts up. That's crazy. And then the weather that we have too, if you go missing at the wrong time of year, it's a death sentence. Yeah. Oh yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. And then you kind of said that that's how you started or you described how you started the Facebook group. What was that like, your initial steps? So, and I've been asked this before, uh, I was really hesitant to start the group initially. I've never started a group. I've never wanted to be known for anything. And I never thought I could be successful at something. I'm the type of person to just rather not try at all to say that I didn't fail. uh, So I don't look like an idiot, I suppose. And, you know, those two cases, it just... It really, I mean, it pissed me off. It was very upsetting to see them. They weren't getting any attention. Um, And so I thought, well, if I just started at that time, I probably had maybe, I don't know, it was like three or maybe 400 friends on Facebook. And I was like, well, if just some of them, like if just my friends join it, I would consider that a success. And then I remember once we hit the 10,000 mark and I went down to Red Rocks uh, for a concert with some friends and my daughter and looking around and knowing what the what that stadium could hold or that venue, excuse me, could hold and thinking that there was that many people visually seeing that many people and like, wow, this is what a difference I'm making. Like this many people cares about that. And, you know, now we're at over twenty five thousand members and I can't you know, I just can't even imagine, um, especially in such a low populated state like Wyoming. So. I knew something was off when the group got so big so fast. And my my sister, she has a missing persons group from Missouri. So this was back in my head, this, you know, in the back of my head for, for quite some time. And I was thinking why, you know, it's Kansas City is such a large city. Missouri is so populated. And, and to see this group that I just started have more members than hers – I knew something was off and it was more than joking about, you know, competing with its sibling and, and that kind of thing and doing better on my group than hers. I was, I was desperate for answers. So then I started to look online and Google was just referring me to myself. And I was like, we've got a big problem here. This is not, this isn't how it should be. Um, and then, you know, different states run differently and it was figuring out who was in charge of it, who to go to and ask for help. Uh, reaching out to state representatives wasn't really getting me anywhere. And so I finally went to a Casper City Council meeting because they had it on their agenda that they were going to do some stuff with sex trafficking. So I was like, I called up the mayor, actually, surprisingly, he answered. Um, and it's not our current mayor, but the the one we had previous, and I'm so bad with names, but I called him up and he answers right away. And I was like, hey, I saw this was on your agenda. This is what I've been trying to do. We need something provided by the state. Like, we're not doing what other states are doing, especially concerningly other states around us that we can relate to, right? So like, you know, what Florida or New York does obviously isn't going to work for us. But if South Dakota is doing it, um, even Washington or Montana, these other states are doing something, we should we should be following what they're doing. Uh, and they were really receptive. So that's when uh, the police chief got me in touch with uh, Frosty over at DCI. He was their director and he's uh, since retired, um, but he's a great, great guy. Uh, so 
you know, I've, I've been invited down to DCI headquarters. I gave a presentation down there and they started to work on getting basically just using me as like this like vetting process of questions, concerns from the public and families of those that were missing and trying to figure out what would work best for our state and and getting that public database up has been a crucial piece in that. I wonder how many times have you seen um, people commenting things that are really useful and that do make a big difference you know, since you started? Yeah. So we, and we try to, I mean, we don't know anything about the cases, so I'd hate to say don't comment on a post, but definitely take it to law enforcement. Sometimes people will comment on there and you just don't know if that information shouldn't be released to the public or not. That group is, you know, it's open and, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a beast at this point. Like anytime anything gets posted or commented, it's like opening like a can of worms. You never know what to expect, Mm -hmm. but it's good. I don't want to say not to, like, if you think there's something worth commenting or even, you know, message me and ask me what to do. DCI has a wonderful thing on their website. If you don't feel comfortable talking to law enforcement, some people don't, or can be intimidating, they have an option to submit tips anonymously on their website. So I'm always right. plugging for that. So if you go to DCI, if you just search Missing Persons Wyoming, the very first thing that pops up is DCI's database. And on there, you'll have an option to submit tips. You can call them uh, with information regarding anything, even if it's wrong, at least I'd rather you do it and, you know, and not regret because they're not going to shut you down. And there's some wonderful people that work over there and genuinely just want to help families. Was this the first time that missing people were shared in Wyoming on Facebook, like a social media platform? Yeah, trying to find like just, um, you know, I mean, there were cases were shared on like buy and sell groups, but there wasn't just one place for everything to go there. There hasn't been anything like that. And, of course, technology works fast and government works slow. And Wyoming is a um, very conservative state. And, you know, there's there's pros and cons that come with that. And we can see what's worked for other states and, and learn from, from the, the choices they've made and make the best choice for Wyoming. And so I think that was a really great way to, to look at what you could say is a negative situation, I think, is, you know, it was – it was well time for us to have something in place. So once they got that, we really got all cases in Wyoming, you know, listed on the group. And that was like almost like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Like it's like a kind of like an OCD thing. Like we got to have everything organized. I have to have all my ducks in a row. And here we finally have all of them together. And then you said the pod, you do the podcast. Is this weekly? Yeah, so I work with Renee Nelson, and she is down in Cheyenne. She has a wonderful podcast, Unsolved Wyoming Cases, Cold Cases, and Haunted Places. And um, she uh, she came to me, I want to say about a year ago, and um, asked if I could help her out with this. And I, I had no connections to her before. I had no idea who she was, and I just jumped at the idea of it because we'd been talking about wanting a, somebody to do podcasts We'd been talking about wanting somebody to do a podcast for quite some time. And, you know, it's a lot of work to do a podcast, I'm sure you know. And several people had suggested I do that. And I just thought the group is so much and I have no experience in this. So it was wonderful to have her come forward and, and you know, help out and, and just another avenue for people to learn about, about cases. And it keeps things relevant, I'm guessing, because you can look at cases that have been cold for a long time, but 
you know, that person still might be out there. They might be able to be found. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, new tips come in. I know there's a few cases that either herself or there's like Amanda Waldron. She's a private investigator with We Help the Missing, Um, you know, and and Jen Kocher. She's a, a, a reporter. Uh, so, so, you know, there's all these different avenues where people either bring information or people start digging up information. And uh, I don't want to speak too much on, on cases, and I don't really know much about particular cases, but I do know with what those ladies have been doing, there's some old cases that they've been working on pretty hard. So that's wonderful to see. And then how has the podcasting been going? Well, first of all, one more time, what was it called again? Unsolved Wyoming Cold Cases and Haunted Places. And so if you know, if you have any suggestions for her on cases, uh, you know, anybody can is more than welcome to reach out to her and 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 give her some some information. We always like to work only with families of those that are missing. We don't want to bring up cases that family doesn't want. You know, we don't want to come across disrespectful or in poor taste when it comes to missing persons cases. And then you said before this you were a housewife. Yeah, I've been a stay at home mom for years. I've always worked odd jobs, but. Because of my husband's work, it's kind of hard to keep up with everything. So, yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere and had no experience in any of this before. This is amazing that it just took you by storm. And now, is it a full-time job? Yeah, I don't think I could work like a like a typical job that, uh, you know, it just it just takes too I constantly have to have my phone glued to me. Even now, I'm checking it, you know, making sure uh, just to... Just to know, just to be in a reassurance for family members, like if I go a half day without checking it, somebody might be mad. And it could really, you know, not be good for cases. There could be crucial information coming in. A lot of people tend to turn to that group rather than law enforcement. And I don't want to shut them away. However, we got to make sure everything's on the up and up. We have to make sure it gets – there's a process and we have to respect that process. Yeah. And then what's nice, I think, about your guys' group is that you update. So when someone's found, we know, okay, right. they've been and, located. And so and one thing about that is a lot of people will question why I take out all personal information. From the posts that I take from DCI's website, I don't get permission from the families. I don't know the information about the cases. Uh, so I don't want to leave that information out there. So all of that gets taken out once those people get found. Now, a family member that posts on the group, they can do whatever they want with it. But just for safety, I like to make sure, especially when you're not getting permission from the families. Now, you might not be able to speak to this as much, not knowing too much about the cases, but do you think that trafficking here is a big problem? Absolutely. Trafficking is a huge problem everywhere. Uh, and it's not like how Hollywood would make it out to be. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times it's family and you don't expect that. It's it, kidnappings. You think it's just some stranger off the street, and it's not. It's always, almost always somebody they know. Uh, it's a lot of times in Wyoming for trafficking, that's the same way that works. And it's hard to get a real number for trafficking, right? It's like right. counting cockroaches. You'll never figure it out. But we do have issues with it. Um, any place where there's large gatherings of people, you will always find trafficking, unfortunately. A couple years ago, Cheyenne Frontier Days, they had a huge bus down there for trafficking. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it happens, unfortunately, everywhere. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know what the answer is for that. That's such like a grim situation. In fact, my cousin right now is missing from Missouri and she's been trafficked before and she's missing again. So, unfortunately, we don't know. She could be trafficked right now. We just have no idea 
anything about her circumstances at this time. We've uh, talked to the director of Uprising. I don't know if you've had the chance to talk to them yet. So they, they're kind of the first, I want to say, nonprofit that deals with trafficking in Wyoming. But she did say that there is a, you have a higher chance of recidivism if you've been trafficked before. So Yeah, they're, so sorry. they're a wonderful uh, nonprofit. I have, I have spoke with them. They do some great work. I believe I got in touch with them through the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Task Force. I believe that they... They had a few meetings with us there, but they, they've done some great work. Yeah. And she kind of said the same thing you said. And then I wondered, too, about just like domestic issues and custody battles. And sometimes we'll see some of that. And that's really frustrating because the person's, I mean, they're missing, but they've been taken by a parent or. You know. Right. And those are the only cases that we allow on the group that aren't verified with law enforcement. All the other Wyoming cases I verify within 24 hours of the person being missing. And, uh, you know, it's frustrating to see how those play out. However, the good thing is, is with Wyoming being so um, small population wise, it's it's great because the truth will come out eventually somehow, some way. Um, and so so when a parent has taken off with a child and there aren't rights or anything put in place, it, it'll eventually work its way out. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate. Those cases are very unfortunate. I can't imagine how frustrating that must be for the parents. And uh, we, we just had one recently. Uh, two daughters were missing and, and they, they ended up finding them out of state, you know, and they were gone for a couple months with their mom and questioning on mental health, you know, was a thing. And, and, you know, they're back home with dad, which is great. Uh, gosh, and the, you know, that post got thousands of shares or views. I mean, it just, it just exploded. It's, there's something to that. It's like the face on the milk carton, but so much bigger, you know, just having people be yeah. able to see a picture. It's simple, but it really helps, I think, for people to just be aware look for people. And that's how I explain the group, especially starting out is it's a digital milk carton. That's the best way to explain oh, yeah. it. Yeah. It's, we Some could... people don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Babies. I don't know. Do they do that still? I don't no, so. and they should. I think they should. I think that's great that I, you know, wherever you can put any information for the public, you definitely should do that. <laughs> it was, I want to say maybe that was just a really nineties thing following like some of the high profile cases that got a lot of attention. Like you're saying, um, is it Elizabeth smart? Mm-hmm. Her name from Utah. Yeah, that was a, the one that was on my milk carton back in the late nineties. Um, so, but yeah, she just did like, a. She just. I don't mean to interrupt, but she just did a uh, a thing down in Cheyenne. I was supposed to go to it, and I wasn't able to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's crazy that she's doing like public events uh, because you know, I mean, with what she's been through, and security is heightened, and the woman that kidnapped her is actually out of prison now. Oh my gosh! But she's gotta, be, yeah, she's gotta be. I'm guessing 30s. But she was kidnapped in Utah, I think Salt Lake. Very right wholesome family, and you know, good upbringing, and taken from her bedroom in the middle of the night. And I mean, I don't know. They had her like nine months or something. I don't remember how long it was. But uh, yeah, it was just such a crazy case. And she just did a, a seminar down in Cheyenne. Renee from the podcast was able to go, and she actually helped with sound during that. And yeah, she, I guess the security was really, really strict. She's like saying she couldn't even meet her and she's working the show. And like, yeah, well, and the woman that, you know, kidnapped her lives in Utah. So it's not far from there. And this is a oh very publicized God. event that, you know, Elizabeth was coming to to speak at this event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just 
the anxiety and fear that she still <laughs> lives with. It, it sounds like it's just like that never would go away. That you could just be removed from your family and everyone you know so quickly. It's terrifying and I th- the work that you do is so important. It must be really heavy though too. How do you kind of deal with the just the nervousness, the stress, all of the emotions? Uh, you just don't. <laughs> don't I don't I don't like to get into details yeah. of cases. You know, it just hits too close to home. I still do like some like podcasts or documentaries especially when they're not about Wyoming because then I'm not I'm not involved in you know it's it's not here it's not right in front of me right uh but it definitely makes me parent my kids a little differently and um kudos to my daughter because she has been so great she checks in all the time with me and you know I have her location on her phone. She shares that. And so she knows why. It's not that I don't want you to have your freedom. It's that I want to make sure you're okay. Um, you know, and she, you know, she's such a great kid. But, yeah, it definitely makes you parent your kids a little bit differently. You hear some stories and then it gets to you emotionally. Um, but uh, I don't I don't think I don't think it's gotten that bad, I guess. I guess I could be it could be a lot worse. I've seen a lot more helicopter parents than myself. I think there's definitely mentioning again the whole OCD thing. Uh, and I mean, anybody that knows me will tell you I definitely like spot on with the OCD stuff. It's not just like, oh, I like things clean and organized. There's a ritual to it. I have to keep things in a certain way. And if I don't, something bad's going to happen that you cannot talk yourself something out of something like that. Like, if I don't do this stupid little thing, it's going to be the end of existence. And I think that's like my my tunnel vision as far as this goes, like keeping it organized. And if I go like two days without updating posts, I feel horrible. So, you know, I got to get back in the groove and, you know, keep back up on it again. And it's a vicious cycle, but I thoroughly, I hate to say it, I thoroughly enjoy it. There's something about that keeping it organized that I really, truly enjoy and just not reading the details. I'm just so, it's just mind-blowing, too, that it's such a new thing that we hadn't, you know, had this for much longer. And so I'm appreciative of the work you're doing. We definitely like being able to go and see the information that you're putting out there so that we can button our posts up, too, and make sure that we're sharing accurately and try to make sure we update as soon as we see something from you or the DCI. We instantly thought, like, oh, is this is this legit? But then I had to check. Yeah, and I was like, no, it always everything everything checks out. And so then I realized that there's something more here. This is this is really big. Yeah, I appreciate I you know I appreciate uh, the attention on it. It's always great, and it's easy for people to thank me. But it's really the community that's done it. It's just that beautiful ripple effect that I start. I just happen to I happen to be in the right place at the right time and do the right thing. Notice the right little hiccup there in the system. And so, you know, getting other people on board and just suggesting is all I've really done is just suggested and deleting spam accounts. That's it. <laughs> so the spam accounts. Have, oh, Facebook comes with uh, a lot of crap. Yeah. yeah. And that's some of it. Yeah, for sure. Or tipsters that are looking for. I don't know if that happens to you, but, you know, I haven't really experienced much of that. And the good thing about that is, is I just always direct them right to law enforcement and somebody that's trying to, you know, give some BS information isn't as willing to go to law enforcement. Uh, And I can understand why a lot of people don't want to talk to cops, but also understand they're just people and they're just trying to do their job. And the majority of them are good people. You know, there's always jerks in the world. And just because you deal with one jerk, doesn't mean they're all jerks. And, you know, I, I've been thankful enough. The law enforcement I've worked with has always been very nice, very supportive. Uh, I haven't had much, much issue with dealing with them or government, which, you know, 
I think a lot of people in Wyoming would be surprised by that. We're for small government, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's worked out, and I think the public has done a great job in all of this. This has been Report to Wyoming, presented in the public interest by Town Square Media.